Hey Life Canton, welcome back. Uh, returning listeners, new listeners, either way, uh, be sure if you're a new listener to like, subscribe, all that stuff so you can get some of the podcasts and the other things that uh, we put out. So be sure to do that. Either way, uh, I just want to remind you that there is so much that God is up to in our church through our 10-year vision, through what he's going to do with partnership. If you don't know what partnership is, be sure to listen to uh, our message from last week, but uh, two weeks ago. But he's just so up to so much. And there's so many opportunities for you to partner with what God is doing and what he is doing uh, in this community. One of those ways is by giving. So be sure to head over to our Church Center app, which is actually the easiest way uh, to give. Uh, and uh, give to support the mission of what God's up to. Um, and if you've been with us for the past couple weeks listening to us, then you know that we just wrapped up our series on the code. We talked about partnership. We just had a new life Sunday. And next we're going to start a series on generosity. But before we do that, uh, our church just released a position paper on radical generosity. So you're about to hear, before we get into that series, you'll hear Pastor Nathan, Pastor Jared, and uh, Franz, who's our director of groups and engagement, sit down and talk about what radical generosity is and how it will impact uh, not only the life of every Christian, but our church. So give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a second. You guys, uh, just give it up for God for that worship time. That was, that was good. That's good. Well, thank you uh, for coming. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to introduce, this is Franz. He's our director of engagement. Give it up for Franz. And this is Jared. You know Jared. He's one of our pastors as well. Uh, if you're brand new and this is your first time, I'm glad you're here, but this isn't how we normally do things. Uh, we like to shake it up, and one of the ways we do that is like a table talk. And the idea is that you're sitting around the table with us and get to have a, a peek into kind of the conversations that we have. Specifically, we're going to be talking about one of our position papers. And what, you're like, what's that? Well, in the last couple of years, we've had a, a bit of a polarized culture, wouldn't you say? Just a little bit, a little bit uh, aggressive at times. And, and there are issues that are going on all around us every day that we walk out of this place and so much happens. And, and what we learned over the pandemic is that it's important for us not to only just say, hey, we're part of a denomination, go to their website and read what they believe, and that's what we believe. But to, on these specific topics, put forward a position in one page as clear as possible about what we mean and, and, and what uh, we're saying about certain things. So that in a sermon, if you thought that Jared said something about politics, you could go to our politics position paper and see, okay, this is the heart of the church behind that. And it's, it's supposed to be invitational and open a conversation. So we've engaged in a process where Jared and myself and a couple others, in this case it's France, uh, collaborated with us, spent time on a topic, studying the Word of God, and talking about what we need to do to communicate. And then taking it to our leadership team, which those who are partners get to vote or serve on leadership team, they're like elders in other contexts, they're voted on. They look over it and we adopt it. And those papers not only help you understand uh, what we believe and why, but primarily serve as accountability for our hiring practices, for all of the staff, and our communication. So it's our hope to provide clarity so that we can have great conversations if something comes up. You can say like, hey, you said this, but our position paper says this. Can we talk about that? And we encourage you to do that. 
So today we're going to be talking about generosity, about giving, about, about money. And um, so we thought we'd invite everybody into this conversation. And we know that money is difficult. We'll be talking about that a lot. And the hold it has on our hearts, um, it's, it's huge. It's a big deal. In fact, uh, some of you, when you walked in, be like, oh, we're talking about generosity today? Okay. Uh, well, I guess I'm already here, right? <laughs> like, it, it can be like that. And you might even have anxiety in the moment. We'll talk about all that um, because today is about the heart. Yeah. Today, we're going to be talking about is the heart of what God wants for us, which is freedom. Um, he wants us to live in an in a attitude of abundance. We're going to be talking about the barriers that get to that. The rest of the series, we're going to be encouraging people to grow. Right now, we're just going to talk about the heart. So in order to do that well, I'm going to give you the moment where we talk about giving to the church, our giving moment, our part of our worship right now, and then we're going to pray and jump into our paper. And so what I encourage you to do is to give to the mission of what's happening here. Give to the church. Invest in what's going on. There's going to be a QR code that pops up that you can give for the very first time, or you can consistently give through that. If you're a person who's like, I need to do this physically, there's a box on the way out. We encourage you to do that. It is a huge deal. We also encourage you, if you do give here, to set up recurring giving which is a way of just saying every week or every two weeks or once a month, I want this amount taken out. That is one of the best tools that allow us as we budget for the next year to know, okay, this is what we can consistently rely upon. I encourage you to give. I encourage you to give to a church that's willing to have really difficult conversations um, and willing to do it in a way that's invitational. And so there, there is your opportunity to worship God today in generosity uh, by giving. What I want to do now is pray, and then we'll get started. So if you could, just close your eyes. I'm going to ask for God's presence to be revealed to us, um, because he's already here, that we would see him and feel him. God, I know that we're all in this place right now because you have determined that we would be here, that you have ordained that we have been in this spot. I believe that your Holy Spirit wants to speak to each of us, and that in these conversations, God, you can reveal more of your character, your love, and your joy. So I pray for every person here today that they would open their hearts, they'd let down the guard a little bit to listen to what God you want to share to each of us today. I thank you for France and for Jared. Thank you for our leadership team who have worked very hard so that we can present something that is an invitation to a conversation and an invitation to reclaiming our identity in Jesus. We pray all this because of you, Jesus, and what you have done. Amen. All right, so if you want to uh, follow along, another link's going to jump up right now. It's on our webpage on the Church Center app, which, by the way, you should be definitely download that as an opportunity to follow along, or you can just listen. Again, these papers will always be on our website with all of our other position papers. I referenced the politics one, um, but there are many on there. I'm going to read through this. Franz and uh, Jared are going to help me. Radical generosity. Our economy depends on consumerism, people's preoccupation with acquiring more goods. This desire to acquire more confirms what the Apostle Paul says, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it has only led to dissatisfaction. We have put our trust and security in our money and possessions, thereby making them an idol, replacing God with created things. This pursuit is sinful behavior and results in perpetual loss. 
Fortunately, God has created us to find our provision in him alone. And as we delight in God, he transforms the desires of our hearts and our relationship with money and possessions. Since everything we need comes from God, we can be free to not rely on the economics of our world. Here's the question. How do we begin to live into God's economy of freedom, contentment, and radical generosity? Life Canton will reclaim our identity in Jesus as it relates to our money and possessions. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If money becomes our master, it will never matter how much we have. Whether we are poor or rich, we will always want more and even convince ourselves that we need more. Our culture has collaborated with the devil and convinced you that your money is yours. We are in chains. These chains have become our identity. Reclaiming our identity is recognizing that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Money is not inherently evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is a gift and a tool to be stewarded wisely. We must first examine our relationship with money. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus didn't simply preach this. He lived it. Jesus gave every bit of himself on the cross and is consistent in his faithful grace to us daily. Once we encounter Jesus and are transformed by his love, we recognize that our money is all God's to begin with. It starts to shift our perspective away from hoarding more for ourselves and towards a perspective of generosity. As we submit to God, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. God's spirit transforms our hearts away from fear-based scarcity and consumerism toward freedom. As we cultivate that freedom and learn to manage money as a tool, rather than treating it like an idol, we begin to experience contentment, regardless of whatever dollar amount is in our bank account. Contentment begins with being satisfied with what we already have. It's an ease of mind. And when we grow in contentment, everything we have beyond our basic needs is seen as an abundant gift from God. Jesus gave everything, and it's why we do whatever it takes and go wherever it takes us. We reorder our finances by engaging in obedient discipline of tithing, giving 10% of what we receive to the local church. When we engage in this heart-leading discipline, we begin to reclaim the truth that all of our money and possessions are, in fact, God's. With this truth, we grow in generosity beyond. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is a radical concept in our culture, but because of Jesus, we can't help but follow this model of radical generosity. Giving is no longer simply an act of duty. 
It's joyful obedience and worship flowing from our identity in Jesus. And while this may seem radical to our culture, it is the core to who we are, radically generous. Consistent obedience leads to gratitude, which leads to radical generosity. This multiplies the love of God in others. Uh, As we often have done in the past with position papers such as this one, um, it's important to pay attention to the emotions, the the state of our hearts right now. We've said that before with other position papers. I think it's interesting. Nathan mentioned a couple things. Um, We've talked about some some hot topics, uh, politics, racial justice, sexuality. I mean, some some not softballs, basically, right? Uh, Money might be the one that actually heightens the... uh, blood pressure just a little bit more, even more than some of those other items in my experience as a pastor of having conversations with folks. And I can say for myself that uh, money has been a trigger for me and brings up all kinds of pain and shame and anxiety. And so I want to just acknowledge in the room right now that that might be the case for a lot of you right now. That you're like, like Nathan said, you, you, you heard or you saw, oh, we're going to be talking about that today? Okay, I'll stick around. Or some of you are like, nope, peace out. I'm not talking. I, I'm not sticking around for this. And that would have been my, my case for a really long time, actually. If I would have seen, if Nathan would have gotten up here last week and said, all right, come back next week. We're going to be talking about radical generosity. I would have said, peace out. I'm not coming. I know what you're all going to talk about. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to make me feel. And I don't want to feel that way, so I will just remove myself. And so I love the song that David finished with just a moment ago. Just a simple yet profound prayer. I just need you right now. I need you right now. And so if you're feeling your heart just racing because of what we're about to talk about, because of some of the pain and the shame that you feel because of your relationship to money, Maybe just pray that prayer. I just need you, God, right now. Pay attention to that emotion because it's important. I want to ask you guys a question in just a second. I am going to deviate for just a moment. Uh, could somebody close that door in the back? I just want to make sure that our presence here is, is safe and secure. Um, that's going to be a distraction for me. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, I want to ask uh, to you guys, because uh, cause you've said generically why we need position papers. You've said even just a little bit uh, why we need this paper. But I want us to get a little bit deeper. I want us to get a little bit more personal. Why this paper? Why do we need to talk about this topic? And Franz, I'll start with you. What, what about this topic to you feels like, yeah, we need to talk about this? Uh, I think the timing is right. Just uh, with some of the external circumstances that are out there right now, we should be not just educated, but it should be a normalized conversation. Hmm. You know, we should be the trendsetters for society, honestly. And for our faith and who we're called to be, we should have the answers. Somebody should be able to come to us hmm. and we should have something that's in right contrast to whatever's going on out there. You, you said we should normalize it. Tell me what you mean by that. Why? It, so I assume you mean it's not normal to talk about money in the church. It's, it's kind of not. Because okay. kind of like you said, right? Like 
we might have that unspoken shame mm. feeling. Mm. So we probably just kind of walk around those conversations mm. sometimes. But what if we transform that? Yeah. What if we're able to be real with those conversations? Mm-hmm. And then just even be able to invite God into those conversations, honestly, amongst each other. Yeah. Right? What do you think, Nathan? Why, why this topic? What's personal about this? Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's so prevalent in our culture that there is a narrative that's being spoken about money. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll get into that. But we're so surrounded, every time we walk out of those, the, the building, we're surrounded by uh, different ways of thinking about money, mm-hmm. which all produce anxiety and worry and fear and want and greed and desire. and all. It's all designed for us to want more. Um, or to think of what we have as less. But, but what I think is the big piece is that the way the world views money, which is inherited by every single one of us in the room, whether we grew up in a Christian household or not, we inherited part of this, is the upside-down version of God's economy. Mm. God's economy is completely opposite. In fact, if someone says something about the way you should view the economy, probably the opposite of that. And we just don't even realize it. We're just, you know, been boiled, you know, like the frog that gets slowly boiled into this place of like, this is the way it is. So much so that we look at what God says and go, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of the things that owns us. The other thing is, is money means so many different things to so many different people. Like someone could look at money and say, I don't find any security in that but it buys me nice things that make me look good, right? Or another person, it, it, it's, it really owns our heart in a vast different way. And the, and the way that the world works is it wants to enslave you to it. So you think that, that this doesn't make any sense, but this is freedom. What you're experiencing, right? It, it feels, you feel scared. You're like, I don't know if I can extend myself in that way. I don't know if I can do that. That just feels weird. That feels weird. That feels weird. And we're, we're like hanging on to the chains that are wrapped around our neck as if that's the thing that makes us feel safe. We won't put it down, you know? And, and it's, it's from the very beginning. I mean, I, I remember um, I, walk, I was a poor college student and I was hungry and I walked into Quiznos, you know? And they were like a person sitting there giving away credit cards at Quiznos. This is what happens in our, in our colleges nowadays. And I'm like, free meal, here's, here's a, you know, a credit card. And I'm like, sure, I'll get a free meal and a credit card. And then with one stinking meal, I accepted this bond of slavery <laughs> because I started using that credit card because I didn't have anything um, to buy more and more and more. And so it's like our whole world is set up to, to offer you slavery so much to the point that we have looked at that slavery as the comfort that makes us feel safe even while it's choking the life out of us. Right. We can't even recognize how good it is. Yeah. We have to talk about it now. Right. And I, uh, my wife had to go get a new winter coat recently, and she went into Kohl's. Um, and Black Friday start, sales have started. They're, they're ready to go. So go now. Uh, you can go get your Christmas presents right now. It's already begun. And some of you are like, I could have told you. Black Friday started like last week. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know this because I don't shop. Um, it, it, it is yelling at us in our faces to say, you need this. Yeah. Not just, you could have this, you need it. Yeah. And that is, a, that is a suffocating message of our culture that it's like, yeah, if we read this, we're absolutely confused. I think uh, how we grew up is important. We were just acknowledging how we all had uh, slightly different experiences growing up. I grew up in Northwest Iowa. 
two married parents didn't have a lot, but I also knew we didn't have a lot. I felt that we didn't have a lot, and so that impacted the relationship I had with money. It created all kinds of narratives of shame and anxiety. You had a, a different story. Tell me a little bit more about your story growing up. Growing up in Queens, New York, um, it's a little different, you know. Than Iowa? Really? <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> um, single, single parent household. Mm-hmm. My mom pretty much did it all financially on her own. Yeah. Us and three kids, two and a half jobs. And um, with her, she, she did it on her own with little to nothing. Hmm. And as an adult now, I can tell the difference. But as a child... I never felt like I lacked anything. Hmm. You know, she always said, we have enough. We, yeah. we always had abundance. She had, she had that spirit about her hmm. where regardless, I never for a moment felt like I needed anything. Hmm. The closest I could remember to that would be she's cooking and maybe the flour just runs a little bit low. She would just always look up or any scenario like that, gas is running low or whatever, she would just say, God provide. <laughs> In, you know, full Jamaican accent. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. We would continue on. And so, like, I would always see and experience yeah. that abundance hmm. with whatever we had. Right. Which is so interesting. You had little, I had little, but your view was different because of what was modeled for you. Yeah, which is fascinating to me. What about you, Nathan? Your, your upbringing was different. Yeah, I, and I, I love this conversation, and part of why we do this collaboratively, we have different voices from different backgrounds, because you start to see something that's true. Yeah. What we're talking about today is about your heart mm-hmm. and about the freedom that comes from your perspective and the actions you take in regards to God. And so you have this similar experience of financially, but very different outcomes. Whereas me, we had enough to the point where, like, my parents um, made enough that on, like, FAFSA and stuff like that, if you know about that, like, I didn't qualify for any loans because they were supposed to be able to provide, but they couldn't because their, their mentality and the way that they, they spent money on everything was always that we didn't have enough. So I was always told we didn't have enough, but we did. Hmm. And so what it did is, is it really changed my perspective was like, well, you know, you never have enough. You never have enough. And so... Um, it was an abrupt, difficult transition for me to go from a home where we seemed like we had everything we needed. You know, I still don't know the fullness of, of all the finances because they don't talk about that. Mm. But then to the point where I'm dropped into college and I have nothing and I have no access to anything. So I got a very different experience where I'm like, I can't even go to school without working full time because no one will give me loans to even go. So, um, I mean, it, it's just interesting to me that it, it, it is about the perspective of the heart. It is about a freedom that doesn't, like we said in here, matter about what's in your bank account. Mm-hmm. And, and it further shows me that, that our reliance on God, our understanding of him as, as the provider, is crucial to our, our freedom, our right. heart freedom. Right. When you think about um, us as a church, getting a little bit more corporate, but also specific to our church, um, and thinking about some of the words that we put in this paper that um, maybe we felt, we felt uncomfortable typing and be like, okay, if we say this, we're going to have to agree with it. Um, <laughs> and 
you know, there's a barrier. There's something that needs to change in us. What's that barrier? It has to do with the view of money, I think. But what, what is that view? What, what do we think is the predominant view that we have of money and possessions? I, I think it's, there is, we, we even talked about collaborating with the devil. Yeah. It's like, woo. Okay. <laughs> um, there's one lie that I think underlies all of this that I've seen is consistent no matter how much money you have or don't or your right. spending habits. And the lie that all of us believe is, is simply this. Your money is yours. Mm. That's a lie. I'm going to let that sit for a moment. <laughs> your money is not yours. Even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, even if you don't say, hey, I died to myself, I rose in Jesus Christ, everything is yours, God. Even if you don't believe that, it's still not your money. God owns all. It is his. And so the biggest lie that sends us on all these crazy paths is this is my money. And I know that me saying that has made a bunch of gold. But, 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 but. And all those buts, all of the things that are coming up in your mind all right, is a culture owned by the enemy who has taught you this. And it is not safety. It is slavery. It is a slavery. Because if it all falls on you, then it all, and it's all yours, then everything falls on you. Mm-hmm. And uh, God has called us to, you know, I always struggle with the verse that says, um, why do you worry about what you'll have tomorrow? You know, doesn't God dress the lilies of the field? Doesn't he provide for the birds? Surely he'll provide for you. And you're like, listen, (laughs) I got three kids. And, you know, like we we like to talk back to God like we know better. And it's because we've agreed with that lie. And I think that that lie, your money is yours. Is, is the underlying belief and agreement we have all made that has caused us so, so much pain. Yeah. So much pain. And we, we grip it mm-hmm. like it's what gives us comfort and what's real. And, and, and it's literally just, pull, you just, it's like a giant links of chain around your neck and your children's neck. You're just pulling it. Yeah. Just pulling and uh, it's not a life rope. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's slavery. Yeah. And so, like what we're talking about today, I'll reiterate just now. This is about the heart. This is about our freedom. This is about reclaiming what God has given us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, I have no problem writing some of those sentences. Because I'm like a little more like, I'm going to tell you what's wrong. I'm going to tell it to you. And if it hurts a little bit, that's probably good. Like, because I, I know the freedom that's yeah. on the other side. Yeah. Franz, what about you? What... what in this paper sticks out to you the most? What is maybe one of our biggest barriers? That's two questions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think our biggest barrier is the effect that our social experiences have on us mm. that says you are, in a, you are a consumer, yeah. so consume. And what you consume provides your security and safety. Mm. And we may, not, we may not realize it, but that's a lot of the motivation behind what and how we spend. Um, and that's bondage, because we're trapped by that. Yeah. And we're, we're, in essence, trying to provide for ourselves when God is trying to transform us and take mm-hmm. us from that and say, I am provider. Yeah. 
I think the social aspect is so important to pay attention to. It's not just what's going on in here when I individually think about money, because I can go back to some of those places in my, in my life uh, where I was laying in bed, not falling asleep because I was having panic attacks, just thinking about money, thinking about, am I going to have enough? Can I pay this bill? Should I wait on that bill and pay the minimum charge and this charge? You're like just constantly racing and blood pressure and sweating. Even in Minnesota, when it was like negative 20 degrees outside, I needed to go step outside to cool down uh, because I was getting hot just thinking about how stressed out I was. But also, socially, the comparison game. Mm. How many of you find yourself just comparing yourself? Well, I should be where that person is. I'm just, I'm the same age as they are. And they seem to be further along in their career. Their bank account seems to be this. What did I do wrong? Why am I not in that place? Why do they get to wear that name brand clothing and I have to wear this name brand or not name brand? The comparison game is such a trap. That's another uh, mode of slavery, I would say, is just constantly comparing myself to what my brother or sister is doing or not doing. And then just feeling more and more shame. I think the barrier that you mentioned, uh, this is mine. This is yours. And how the upside down mentality of the kingdom is so radical. And we mean that word intentionally, radical. It is is different. The in Corinthians, the, the Greek word is uh, be a cheerful giver. The Greek word is be a hilarious giver. <laughs> That's hilarious that you would be that generous. Yeah. That's that is ridiculous. Yeah. We thought about calling this hilarious generosity, but we didn't think that would catch on too quickly. It's ridiculous. And then you see this in Acts chapter 4, the first century church, because they had an encounter with Jesus, because they had reclaimed their identity in Jesus, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt, that's an emotional word, They felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. God does a work on our hearts and our minds, and he draws us in unity. This is not just an individualistic thing. That's another barrier that we could talk about. This is about a corporate healing of our hearts and minds so that nobody has any needs. Everybody's taken care of. And that has to be shifted in our hearts. How do we get there? How do we get to the place of, of freedom and contentment? Where do we even begin with that process? I, I think, you know, the rest of the series will be talking about this idea of, of heart-leading actions, right? You see in here the discipline of the tithe helps train our minds and our hearts to live into the freedom of, of what God offers us. I think it's a fixing of perspective. You know, I, one of the things that, that I experience or, or hear is, is when we sing stuff. Like I'm always, I'm always uh, very cognizant of what we're singing. Hmm. Uh, they're saying like, all of this is yours. The, the earth is yours. The earth is yours. The earth is yours. Except this stuff, this stuff is mine. You know, like, you know, like are we... Singing and, and, and praising in spirit and truth. Mm. And I think um, you talked about this a little bit. It's about fixing our eyes and yeah. perspective. So there is the heart leading actions. There's the disciplines that, that lead your heart, that force you into a place to put yourself, position yourself to be transformed in your mind, mm-hmm. right? The renewing of your mind. But 
we have to fix our perspective of God. And it, I'm, I'm inspired by your, your mother, um, and especially since she made such a good cook. But like, you, you cook yes. really well. Um, where's my goat? You said you were going to get this. Anyways, um, I'm inspired by it because she had the right view, not here, but all of mm. her, of God as Jaira, which is provider. And you said uh, a little bit earlier about the idea like, Jesus wants to be known as provider. Yeah. And so I, I think that's, that's powerful. And I'll let you just speak about that because you said it so well. But what, if God says, I want to be known as provider, what does that mean about us and our perspective? Of it? It, it means that we have to begin to get to the place where we're able to challenge ourselves. Are we limiting him? If he's saying, I am as an I am provider, how are we releasing and freeing him to prove himself in our lives daily? Let's say more about that, because that's powerful. <laughs> so, like, if we're, if we're stuck day-to-day in consumerism, yeah. and we're just piling ourselves full of different things, how are we making space for God to be that gyro? Well, that's good. How do you? How do you make space? I mean, it, it certainly helps that you were raised with this mentality and this perspective, right? Like your mom has, has a wonderful perspective, a healthy one. Um, so that was modeled for you. But how do you continue to sustain that? Because there are moments that come up. There's moments of crisis. There's moments of like, I don't know if I'm going to make it this month or whatever. Like, how do you sustain that place of, of trust? Like, what, what do you personally do? Faith without works is dead. Mm. So acknowledge the need. Do your part to be responsible. Yeah. And expect God to do his part and show up. Yeah. In every situation and every opportunity, Mm. I have to do that every day. I can try to do for myself. I can try to set the bar in terms of what I can be responsible for and say, God, can you do the rest? And then see what he does and how he does it. I I just love that, Franz. I never really quite said it the way that you said it just now, but is our shopping habits, our consuming habits, limiting the ability to God to show up and provide and what he wants to provide for us? And that's wrecking me, right? Because again, I'm still fighting this idea that if if I buy more things, then it'll fill a need. But it's not just that God wants to fill that need. It's that we may be preventing him. And you can't prevent God, so don't get theological on me on that. What I mean is, like, we may be, instead of positioning our, this is what I thought immediately. My kids love squeezies and snacks, and they just, like, shove that stuff in their mouth. And I'm like, but when we get close to dinner, I said, stop it. His dinner's coming, and my wife is a great cook, and you need to appreciate what she cooks. You know, like, that is, that, so stop eating, because I want you hungry. And that's what made me think, are we not hungry for God? Mm. That's the question. And that is, it breaks my heart. Because mm. we're, we're trying to fill up on nasty snack food that's not good for you, and we're missing out on the provision of God as life and abundance and joy because mm-hmm. we're filling ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. We'll say. Well, thanks for sharing that. Right. And I think that, you know, in the paper, there's that little line in there. 
uh, this results in perpetual loss. Yeah. I think all of what you said there is all wrapped up in that idea and more is just, we're constantly seeking, finding, uh, you know, not finding, uh, grasping for, for more grasping for some sense of our identity. Cause I think this has to do with our identity. Our view of God, uh, impacts the way we view ourselves and the way that we view our money. So this has a hold on our identity if we continue to put our trust and our security in this as our security and as our trust. And it's just never going to please. It absolutely isn't going to. And I think this, uh, this transcends age as well, right? Like we're not just talking about adults. Like I would love, I would love for all of the students in the room um, to experience at a young age, a younger age, what Franz experienced, a mindset of joy and abundance and a way to be like, always be brainstorming and dreaming. How can I bless somebody else? How can I make their life better? How can I elevate them? And that's why we have our, our code attached to that. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, even in the area of our finances. And, and I know that God has been working on my heart and you guys have heard that story. And I'm going to tell a little bit more as the series goes on just some of the more personal impact of, of what has taken place in me uh, to heal some of the shame and the anxiety. And that, that's the thing I want to make sure I make clear. Uh, we're not, we're not going to resolve it all here today. In fact, that's why we're having a, the rest of our uh, couple weeks on this series to talk more about what this looks like, how to grow in our perception of who God is, how to grow in our understanding of scarcity versus abundance, some of the motivation to grow, some of the steps to grow. We're going to be talking about all of that. But I think it's important that you realize that coming away from this today is not just a, okay, so do better. Just do better. Fix it. That's not the goal. That's not the goal. Hunger after God. Ask for a a greater, broader, more profound, more loving, more grace-filled view of who God is. Ask him to comfort you, to heal you, to be Jireh, provider, Jehovah Jireh. And allow everything else, the transformation of your heart to flow from there. This is not about you just getting better, just you fixing it but allowing God to be the healer of our hearts because this is a matter of the heart. I don't know that anything else has a, a, a stronger hold on our hearts than money. And so what we wanted to do is, is provide a place for healing to take place, a healing from some of the shame. Maybe for some of you, you're like, yeah, my heart was racing when I came in. My heart's racing still or even more. And that's normal. And so we want to provide a a safe place for us to heal together because we don't have this all figured out. We're still growing in this. And so in just a moment, David's going to come out and just lead us in a time of worship, just listening. Uh, But also me and Nathan and Franz are going to be down front and we want to invite you to come forward, to pray. You, You stepping forward is not a signal to everybody else in the room, like, oh, they're struggling with their finances. That's not what this is about. It's a place of, I want to hunger more for God. And I want to continue the healing process from shame, from anxiety, from whatever it is that stirs up in your heart, that gets triggered in your heart when we say 
money and possessions. And so uh, Nathan's going to just begin that time of prayer for us. But now me and Franz are going to come down. And I want to invite you uh, to come down even now as we come down. So I'll turn it over to you, Nathan. Do you guys mind standing with me? We're going to worship him. We're going to worship God in this moment. And I believe that he's going to do a work. So like Jared said, you can even start coming down now. And we'll be here even after the service um, to help pray with you. What I want you to do right now, I want everyone in the room to do this. Um, stretch yourself, even if you feel uncomfortable. Normally, I said only if you feel comfortable. I want you to stretch yourself in this moment. And I want everybody to, uh, without looking around, open up your hands like this. It could be down here. It could be out here. It could be up. Whatever you want. As I pray for you, the image of our series is one that has an open hand and our hearts in it. And what I want you to do is open your heart to God. And it's a vulnerable thing. It's not an easy thing. Allow God to speak to you in this moment as I pray, as I believe that God is already calling people to come forward to receive prayer. Holy Spirit, we know that you are here, that you are with us, that you are moving in our hearts. And I believe that you want to set some people free, that you want to set some people free of the chains that have bound them for so long. God, we give this time to you. Say, do whatever you need to do so that your people, your children are free. So we submit control to you in this moment and say yes to whatever you say to us. Continue to speak to us as we worship and pray. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that discussion of uh, radical generosity and and why our church believes so firmly that is something that we are called to as followers of Christ. Um, Not only that you enjoyed it, but that you were challenged by it, uh, challenged to think about the way you give and, and why you give and what it is to have a heart rooted in that radical uh, gratitude that they talked about. Either way, uh, whether you are processing something uh, that you heard or even if you're just you know processing life in general, we want to not only get you connected but support you. So be sure to fill out a connect card uh, again on the Church Center app so that we can uh, know who you are, know what you're going through and, and reach out and do our best to support you. Uh, maybe even find you a life group or some other place to connect or just to pray for you. So fill out one of those, let us know. Um, but whatever you got going on and, and whatever you heard today, I'm just praying that you have a blessed week uh, and that you not only receive God's gifts and God's generosity and his forgiveness and his love and in all the ways he provides for us this week, but also that you look for opportunities to radically give to others, not just through giving a, a tithe or giving to the church, but also just giving of yourself to your neighbors and those around you. So uh, have a blessed week. Look out for those opportunities. And I'll talk to you again real, real soon.